team. Open your Bibles to the letter of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, either open it up, turn it on, whatever you prefer. Towards the back of your Bible. If you've hit, you know, the James and the Timothy, you've gone too far, so you've got to go back to your left. Ephesians chapter 5, we're learning from this amazing letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul, sent to the church in Ephesus, an ancient city long, long ago, sent to a young church in the middle of the Roman Empire. And we are nearly complete through six chapters, started in January, took some time off in the summer, now we're back at it. And uh, what we've been learning over the last few weeks is about the Christian home. So the last two chapters of Ephesians, Paul is basically going into and showing and instructing this church how their home is still supposed to look, how it's supposed to act, how it's supposed to be set up um, to resemble uh, God and his character and his Savior, Jesus. So this is where we're at. This is probably week four in this a little mini-series within the book called The Christian Home. Um, and that's exactly what it's about, is about your home life, those intimate relationships that are a struggle to talk about, a struggle to make healthy. They're like the weirdest thing at times, and you love people and you hate people all at the same time. Um, but Paul instructs the church to be altogether different than the world around us. And it is a challenge for sure because we're all failures. But I hope that um, what Paul says today is an encouragement to you and that it would um, transform your home. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 6. Verse 9. Here's what Paul says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whatever he, whether he is a bondservant or if he's free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality within him. All right. We got through that. The verse that we're going to focus on this morning that I have been praying over the week would transform your home is verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we've spent time talking about how wives are to submit in the past. You can actually catch those sermons on the podcast, CityGate Teaching Audio, I believe it's called, or it's on the website. 
And we do remember that submission is not obedience. It's an altogether different thing. So we've had to reorientate our mind about what God calls wives to be. What, what evil men do is they use the word of God for their own manipulation and their own power. And what they'll do is they say, well, my wife is supposed to obey me. That's actually not there. It says wives are supposed to submit. If Paul says that wives are to obey, he would have used the word obey, but he doesn't. He uses that for children and for bond servants. But with wives, he says submit. And what we learned there was that the wife is to acknowledge and encourage the headship of her husband as the created man and the husband of the home. Um, That husband is to act as the head who protects provides and establishes that healthy family. That is, that is his call in life. That is his mission that God has given him. Um, every man here acknowledges that he could not have gotten his wife on his own. God had to be involved in that one. Amen? Right? You're not special. So he gave you something special. And because of that, God has entrusted us with a wife. It's a fantastic thing um, to be entrusted with a wife. And God calls us to care for her to protect her, that she would feel safe and comfortable under our leadership. That's on the podcast. You can look into that. But then Paul goes to husbands. And so all the wives are really happy because today we're talking about husbands. And in fact, the next couple of weeks, we'll probably talk about husbands. But he does say now, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A few observations. What I will eventually do is give you three ways that Um, you can love your wife as Christ loved the church. But before I get into that, I want to give you a few observations right off the bat about this verse. Number one, um, husbands, although there are many ways to be nice or to serve or to support your wife um, or to encourage her or to say nice things about her or to buy her whatever she wants, I don't know, pick anything. There are multiple ways to to interact with your wife, to to be nice to her. But the, the best way that God has designed for husbands um, to interact with their wives is to love them, is to love them in a certain way. And that love is an act of giving yourself up for her, as verse 25 says. So husbands, you may be missing the mark this morning because you're like me and I'm imperfect and so are you. And although our wives never see how perfect we actually are, there are times where we fail and we miss the mark. Um, but I want you to know, don't spend a whole lot of time figuring out how you can be more nice or more encouraging. That has its time and its place. This morning, I want you to think about how you can love her by giving yourself up for her because that's what God has called you to be, okay? Number two, this means love is an action. Love is an action. In the Bible, love is always an action. Saying I love you is an encouraging, tremendous thing to say. It's, um, you know, words are important. God gave us language, so words are, are very important. Be careful with your words. And saying I love you is really good. It's an important thing to know that you are loved, and um, that your wife knows you love her. It's an altogether better thing to actually show her, to prove it to her. So love is an action. Love takes action. And then number three, uh, the command to love your wife, husbands, this is for you. Actually, the whole thing is for you. Um, (laughs) Wives, listen up, and then graciously hold them to the standard later. Um, And if you don't have a husband yet, uh, don't talk to anybody that doesn't do this. Okay. It's just rule of thumb. The the guy will come. God will send him to you. Husbands, you must understand that the command to love your wife has nothing to do with who she is or who she is not. So husbands do not love their wives because of who they are to them first. So in this way that we know God loves us, that he loved us before we even loved him. So he loved us when we didn't love him. 
So we're going to get into that throughout the sermon. But I want you to realize, husbands, you are to love your wives regardless of who she is or what she has done. That is a, it's a weighty thing to think about. Husbands are called to love their wives um, regardless of who she is, what she has done, or what she has not done, or who she isn't, or who you want her to be if she's not there yet. It does not matter. This command is for you. This command does not say, husbands, love your wives as soon as she has earned it, and then give yourself up for her. It doesn't say that. A husband is to love his wife regardless of what the wife does or does not do. It does not matter. Wives have their own struggle to submit to their husbands, and they hate that because sin is a real thing, and we hate to love our wives because we're selfish people. So we're both in the same place. But husbands, I want you to know that leaving here today, your marriage can be transformed, and you can experience a blessing in your marriage if you love your wife regardless if she even loves you at all or is even nice to you. Even if your wife is always mean to you, it does not matter. You can still obey this command. It has nothing to do with who she is or who she is not. It has everything to do with who you are as a Christian man, who you are in Christ. Okay, so remember that the, the, the command of God in the Bible always comes after the promise of what, have already, what he's already done for us. So God doesn't say, husband, love your wife, because if you do that good enough, I will love you. He doesn't say that. Paul has already gone on in this letter for three chapters about how much God loves his people, how much he's done for them, how much he's blessed them, and all these ways that are even sometimes hard for us to understand, that we're blameless before God, that he doesn't see us as a dirty, condemned sinner, that he sees us as his perfect son. And that's all by faith. That's all by grace. We didn't even earn that. We just received that. The good news of the Bible is received. It's not earned. He doesn't say, do these things with your wife and then come and prove it to me, God, and then I will then accept you. He doesn't say that. So remember, when you read the Bible, the command always comes after what God has already done in your life. Okay? The command comes after the promise. Now, let me make this connection um, for those three observations and the next three points. Husbands are called to love their wives in the same way that Jesus has shown his love for them. That's kind of like the most basic way to say it. Husbands are to love their wives in the same way Jesus has loved them. And that's what Paul does through verse 25 through 33. Okay? Wives get one verse. Guys get eight. Okay? We get it. But there's so many ways that Jesus shows his love for his people. That's the way that husbands are called to love their wives. So husbands are called to love their wives in the same way that Jesus has shown his love for them. And mainly, here's the first point of the verse, by giving themselves up for her by giving themselves up, by basically dying to whatever it is you want and serving her in the way that Jesus has served you. Okay? So let me give you three observations of how Jesus has given himself up for the church. And likewise, husbands can now go home and give themselves up for their wives. Okay? First thing, Jesus humbled himself in order to come and save you. That's the first thing that should fuel your love for your wife. That Jesus humbled himself in order to come and save you. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. When he was walking around and he was teaching and healing, and he actually told the crowd one time, he said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father, the only God, the creator of heaven and earth. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Now, people did not like that at all, clearly. That's why they wanted him dead. But Jesus is God in the flesh. So you have the very same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one essence, who spoke the Son into existence, 
but he humbled himself by becoming like us, by becoming part of creation. He's the creator. He humbles himself. He becomes part of creation. He is, the Bible says, he is the word of God. He is the logos, the knowledge of God, the logic of God. Yet he came down to earth. He came to live and to dwell so that he would eventually sacrifice himself for us in our place. So uh, husbands, a simple command. Um, Simple to say, hard to do. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of that today, okay? Simple to say, hard to do. Husbands, humble yourself before God and before your wife. So if we are to love our wives the same way Jesus has loved us, by giving ourselves up for her, the first thing we are to do, we must do is humble ourselves before God and humble ourselves before our wife. And this is because, this command is really important for your home, because humility is like fertilizer. Not in that it stinks, but that the more you spread it, uh, the, more you, the more growth you experience. That's generally true of any relationship. The more humble you are, the more, the more humility you express to those around you. Humility meaning not thinking of yourself more highly than you should, you know. So God is God, and he comes off of his throne and enters humanity. That's pretty humble. Husbands are to do the same thing. Is even though you are the head of the house, you are actually to act as the hired hand. You are to act as the servant of the house. You are to humble yourselves before God and not make your own pronouncements or your own rules or your own judgments to your wife or your children, but to submit yourself to God's instruction and word. And he will give you the rules and the instruction and the framework for your home. You are, hum- you are to humble yourselves before your wives because when you do, you will become patient and gentle. And I would say a husband who is patient and gentle is an absolute necessity for the home. It, it is an absolute necessity for the home. Humble men become patient and gentle men. And likewise, proudful, uh, proudful? prideful men Thanks for editing me. Usually you jump in. Prideful men, um, they become impatient and harsh. Men, we've all done this. We've acted impatiently and we've become harsh. I certainly have and so have you. And this is why we must pursue humility. Proud husbands are rarely wrong. You ever notice that? And some of you are like, well, I mean, that's actually true. I'm not really wrong a lot. (laughs) No, you're prideful. You see how that works? Like, you can't say, you're right, I'm rarely wrong, but she's more wrong than me. doesn't count. Prideful husbands are rarely wrong. Proud husbands treat others like subjects, not like family. Husbands who are full of pride, as the head of the home, treat their household like subjects, not like people who are to be cared for and provided for and protected. Yes, you are the head of the wife, and the leader of your children. But men, husbands, you are not God. You do not sit on a throne up high and make people come to you for all things and all knowledge and all wisdom. And here's why this matters. If you are proud, if you struggle with pride, which we all do, and to varying degrees, some of us struggle more. It's just a fact. If you are proud, you are essentially placing yourself on your own throne. You're doing what the rest of mankind is doing, is they're saying, I'm the God of my own life, and I will do what I want. You are thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. 
The fact is, you are a sinner saved by grace. You are an imperfect vessel in need of repair and care in God's love. And Jesus Christ loves you in that way, just as you are. So you can step down off of your throne, and you can humble yourself before your wife. So here's, what, here's an example of what that looks like. Let's say if you're like, yeah, yeah, I want to become humble. I'm so proud of myself that I have determined I want to be humble, right? Watch it, because it's easy to slip up and fail. Here's what it means to be humble in your own house. When your wife sins against you, and she will, amen. All right, good, don't say it. That was a test. When, when your wife sins against you, right? You're doing good, man. I'm so proud of you. When your wife does something, offends you, sins against you, says the wrong thing, does the wrong thing, um, you don't condemn her for that sin. That's what a proud man would do. You don't hold it against her. You don't remind her of it on Tuesday and then again on Friday and then again in November. <laughs> you don't condemn her and remind her of all the ways you failed. That's what a proud husband does. A humble husband will seek her out. He will go and pursue her. And I know she's the wrong one. I get it. But a humble husband who gives himself up for his wife will go and seek her and find her, bring her in close, seek reconciliation, begin the forgiveness discussions first. Men, husbands, your job is to initiate. I don't care if she's wrong. I don't care if she's wrong. I don't care if she's wrong. It's your job to go and seek her out find her and say, there's something between us. Can we talk about it? There is sin that is separating us. You see how sin separates relationships. It separates us with God vertically, and then horizontally, sin separates humans from loving relationship. That's what happens. So when there's sin in your home between husband and wife, it's the husband's job to humble himself, seek her out, just as Jesus sought you out, draws you in with his compassion, not his condemnation, and begins the reconciliation process. Even when you are not wrong. That's the, the role of the husband. That's what it means to be the head of the wife. You see, it's funny because three weeks ago, the husbands were like, yeah, let's get into verse 22. This is going to be fantastic. Wives, submit to your own husbands. I can't wait to what he's got to say about that. That's what it means to be the head of the wife. That's what it means when it says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What does Christ do for the church? He seeks us out. What is the number one characteristic of Jesus as he walked on the earth as recorded in the Bible? Compassion. Over and over again. Compassion. Compassion. Except to religious people, they're quite an exception. He was, you know, he was pretty wrathful of them. But compassion was the overwhelming characteristic. So husbands, you have to humble yourself. You've just been sinned against. That happens. She's imperfect. She's a broken sinner in need of repair. And your job is to initiate that conversation and that reconciliation. Now, it's really, really hard. It's very hard because sometimes she don't want to talk. Because after she has sinned against you, her pride is telling you she was justified and that you were the wrong one. And she's even going to say that to your face when you go and seek her out. And she's not going to want to talk. And she's going to walk away for another full day. And what are you going to do? You're going to pursue her again. Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus does to us each and every day. Every day. Every time we fail to meet the mark to God, 
what do we rely on? We rely on the work that Jesus has done for us. And so it's like Christ pulling us back in. The communion table every week, I'm getting ahead of myself now. I gotta slow down. The communion table every week is us remembering Christ pulling us back in, isn't it? It's a practical way of remembering what God has done for us. Husbands, you are to treat your wives in that way. Embrace her, make her feel loved, included, and safe, and allow her to confess her sin and seek your forgiveness. And then without hesitation, you forgive her, just as Christ has forgiven you. A proud man creates distance between himself and his wife. A humble man closes the gap between himself and his wife. A humble man closes the gap, right? Number two. So Jesus, uh, what did he do? Hold on a second. He humbled himself, so we are to be humble. Number two, Jesus emptied himself. This is how Jesus loved the church. And likewise, we are to love our wives. So Jesus emptied himself of his divine nature in order to become like us. Now, this is kind of like the first point. Now, what I need you to understand is that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's kind of a mystery. It's actually hard to wrap our minds around it. The big term is called the hypostatic union. You're welcome. That means that he was truly and fully God and truly and fully man. That's who Jesus was. He was God in the flesh, so he did not stop being God, but he set aside all those divine attributes, all those God-like attributes, and he became a man. And he needed to do that for two reasons. God had, be, had to become a man so that he could perfectly obey the law that I could never obey. He had to live with us, be subject under the Father's law, and obey it. But then he needed to be fully man so he could truly substitute himself for man. That's the theology of salvation. So that's who Jesus is. He emptied himself. So husbands, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Count your wife more significant than yourself. By emptying yourself of all who you think you are. Empty yourself of your status, of your intellect, of your power, of anything that think makes you cool or awesome or, or worthy. Get rid of all of it. Empty yourselves and take on the form of a servant. That's the big idea. Empty yourself and take on the form of a servant. There's a letter called Philippians it's Paul's letter to the Philippian church in Philippi, another ancient city. And he says in that letter to that church, this is how he instructs them. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus, although he was God, he didn't hold on to that when he came to earth. He set that aside. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Husbands, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Empty yourself and become a servant to your wife. And this is why being the head of the house is such a privilege and an honor. It's not because you get to make the rules or because your wife has to obey you. Remember, obey is not in there. Wives, submit is. Submission is far more powerful than obedience. But this is why it's a privilege and an honor to be a husband. Why? Because we get to, as Jesus did with us, serve our wives. In the same way Jesus served the church, we get to serve our wives. We get to be that practical picture of God's love to other people. 
That's our responsibility. Husbands, serve your wife. God sent his son into the world to serve his people. And this is what he calls you to do with your wife. Ask her what she needs. That's step number one. And by the way, that's just half of it. There's two steps. Ask her what she needs and then actually do it if she tells you she has a need. Most guys stop with, well, I asked. Congratulations, you asked. Now you have to do it. If she says she needs something, you do it. I don't care if you've never done that in your entire marriage. I don't care. I don't care if that's not normally what you would do on any given day. I don't care. Ask her what she needs, and then don't think of yourself too high. Humble yourself, as Jesus does, and then you serve her. Especially if you have kids, and that's kind of where I'm at, so I love to talk about kids. Not that if you don't have kids, you're left out. It's just an easy illustration for me. We have five kids at home. We call them the Fab Five, and they're fantastic. And their wife is an, my wife, their wife. Their mother is a natural nurturer. And that's kind of common with all mothers, no matter what age your kids are. You're just, God has wired you to nurture and to love in a way that men could never, ever do. And it's such a blessing to children and to a home. That's why women are so amazing. God has given you this ability to nurture and to love. And husbands, what you need to realize is that your wife will actually not tell you she needs help because she's busy being a natural nurturer to the point where she will kill herself. Literally, like give her all to those kids while you're over there and you're like, well, she's never asked for anything, right? And so you need to step in. What do you need? I don't care if you've never done it before. I don't care if you don't do that around the house. It doesn't matter. These verses have used, has been used in the past to set up the traditional home the way the homes were set up. That's, we're not at all talking about the signals. Does that make sense? We're not at all talking about what you do and don't do in the house and who does what and who cleans what and who picks up what. And we're not talking about any of those things. That's all up for grabs. Seriously, it is. Your home will look different than mine. Mine will look different than yours. However you need to set that up, set it up. This is far more important than any of the signals that we actually do. You must enter her world and realize the burden that has been placed on her to be a wife and a mother. Not to mention the burden that the world puts on her. Because she's supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way. And there is much pressure on a woman to be a mother and a wife. So you need to step into that. You need to serve her. And you can do this in a way by just picking up the pieces. I mean, not like literally follow her around and pick up the pieces. But like, you know, husbands, when you enter into your day, the world's kind of unraveled around your wife. You need to do whatever you can do to get her ready for Monday. That's what you do. So if her, her Sunday was rough, you need to say, how can I help your Monday be better? Just take that statement and ask her, how can I make your Tuesday be better? What do you need from me? I just, I don't know, I just need to sit with you and hang out. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Men, I don't care what you have planned. There's nothing more important than serving your wife. That's what vacation days are for. You thought it was to have fun. Nope. Have fun with your wife, but you know what I'm saying. Ask her what she needs, then step in and pick up the pieces. And, and here's the thing. Oftentimes, men, because of they're the head and because we're masculine and hunky, right? We often, yeah, we often think that wives are here to serve us. We're told we're the kings. Isn't that true? Or in my house, uh, my dad was the president, my mom was the vice president, and she always rolled her eyes and made all the decisions anyway. 
But our wives are not here to serve us. They're to submit to us. They're not to serve us. Actually, it tells the husbands to serve the wives. The Bible is altogether different than the world, isn't it? Altogether different. Ask her what she needs and then step in. Live as though you understand the truth that you have been created to serve her. And so you may have to have this first real honest conversation in your house. Am I serving you enough? What can I do to better serve you? What can I do to make your Monday better? Whatever that is, when she says it, if it's not sinful, do it. And keep doing it over and over and over again. All right, number three. Jesus died on a cross so we could die to self. That's the third thing Jesus does by giving himself up for us. He dies on a cross so we could die to self. Now, this is actually the, the, the baseline for a Christian. This is entry-level stuff. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself. For, whatever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So the life you thought you had, the life you're pursuing, the life you think you want, you're to die to all of that. You're to die to all those desires and all those things you're chasing and let God direct your steps and let God send you where he wants you to send, where he wants to send you. When a man comes to Jesus, he puts the old way of life to death. He kills it with all of its selfishness and pride and arrogance, and he walks as a new man. Here's the thing about these types of characteristics for a husband. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin, right? He took all of our sin, and he went to the grave with it. So, But when he came back from the dead, he didn't bring it back. So he didn't bring arrogance back. He didn't bring pride back so husbands can use it. He didn't bring any of that back when he resurrected from the dead. That's all still in the grave. Christians are dead to that. We're dead to that. We're alive in Christ. We are dead to our sin. We have been crucified in every way Christ has been crucified. You've been given a brand new spirit to walk after Christ, empowered. And that's the promise of the Bible. And so husbands, you are to die to self. One of the best ways you can do to serve your wife. If you're thinking about taking a wife, learn how to deny yourself and serve her. This is a blessing of marriage. Here's an example of this. John 3.16. You know the verse that you see at football games? He's that really overzealous guy, always behind the goalpost. For God so loved the world, this is what it says, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a great promise. For anyone here today who does not believe in Christ as Savior, God says, for anyone who does, you will not perish but you will have eternal life. Amen? You'll be resurrected as Christ was resurrected, physically, bodily, with no trace of sin, to live in his kingdom forever, with God, with your Savior. That's a wonderful promise. But what does the verse not say? What if the verse said, for God so loved the world that he thought about giving his son, but he thought that would be too much to sacrifice. So instead, he said, nah, figure it out. Now would be Greek for like, never mind. That's not what he says. God says, for God so loved that he gave. It's not for God so loved that he thought about giving, but then realized how much that would cost him. And he thought, well, you're totally not worth it. Because you really haven't done anything to earn it. 
I mean, I'm God, and I know I created you for all good things, and I know you're sinful, and you need my help. And I thought about sending my son to take your place, but you see, the thing is, you haven't done enough yet. That's not what the verse says. Husbands, how often do we treat our wives like that? How often will we only love and serve as long as they're worthy of it? That's sinful. That's religion. That's demonic. Never does your wife earn your love or service, ever. The bride of Christ is the church. That's the language used in the Bible. We are the bride of Christ collectively, his body. And the whole story of the Bible, let me give it to you in like kid terms. Here's why I love reading Bible stories to my kids. I can say, what's the whole entire Bible about? My kids could say, kill the dragon, get the girl. Done. That's the Bible. Crush the serpent who caused us to sin, get the girl, grab the bride. That's what Jesus does. He comes to crush the head of the serpent, the promise in Genesis chapter 3, and what does he do? He wins back his people. You see that? Men, that's your whole entire mission. Crush sin, crush the serpent, get your girl, and protect her. And to do this, you will have to die to whatever you think your life should be about. Now, that is a struggle. Many of us are gifted a certain way. We have these proclivities to do certain things. You may have to die to all of that. You may have to die to that very thing you love to do three times a week. And you're like, John, don't go there. Because that's my time. Right. Die to self. Give yourself up for her. Let me tell you, the natural blessing of this is your wife's going to feel loved and served, and she's going to be like, well, of course I need to make time for you to go and do that. That's how it should work. Here's what it means to die to yourself, okay? Very practical. Here's some identifiers you can look at, and then I'll, well, this is technically beginning to close, so I'm almost done, okay? When your wife fails at keeping her word, when she does fail you, and she will, but you forgive her anyway instead of condemning her, this is dying to self. When your wife speaks a harsh word against you and you respond with grace instead of wrath, husbands, this is dying to self. When you are exhausted, as good men should be, don't complain about being tired. It's a good thing. Go to bed tired. If you're not longing for your pillow, you're doing something wrong. That comes with the territory. Work your mission Serve your family, get tired, go to bed, wake up, do it all over again. When you are exhausted, but then walk into your home life and ask her what she needs, this is dying to self. When you do the small things to support her and whatever her venture is, whatever God has her on, the small things that you would normally not do, but that you step in and you do anyway, this is dying to self. Here's a big one when you are willing and ready to get help with the secret sin that is destroying your life, that you kind of keep around in secret because you need comfort every once in a while and it feels good and it's full of pleasure, when you're willing to get help with that in order for your marriage to get stronger, you're dying to self. Just remember, the command for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her comes after three chapters of what God has already done for us as men, as Christians. 
I'm not instructing you to do this so God will love you. I'm instructing you to do this because God has loved you in Christ. Makes sense. The command always comes after the promise. This is gospel. This is why it's called good news. And here's the last thing I'll go, I'll end on. Men are wired kind of different. Amen, women? They're goofy and weird. They're hunky. We smell nice. Right? When we sweat, that's attractive. Sometimes. But the true spiritual test of any given man is not necessarily the hard work, the hard work he can accomplish, the way he can serve his church, how much money he gives at church, how much money he gives to charity, how well he's doing at his job, how much his community loves him, how much his family members outside of his home love him. Those are all signals of a man, right, who's probably following Christ, who loves the Lord, therefore he loves people. But the true spiritual test, men, here's the test you put yourself through. The true spiritual test of a man is who he is in front of his wife and his children. That's a true test. Many of us are different to people that we are to our family. We just need to recognize that and seek forgiveness and put it to death and walk the other way. A lot of us men are far nicer to the people at work than we are in our home. May it not be so with the men in this church. I know it's hard. It's not easy. But we are to give ourselves up. We're to be humble. We're to die to self. And we're to serve our wives. That's what it means to be the head. That's what it means to be called as the husband. That's what it means to be given a bride. It's to provide, protect, and serve her. So husbands, my final word, and I'll get us ready for communion. Go home and love your wives. That's the final command. And you can start at like 1215. You don't have to wait very long. You don't have to wait till Monday. Start at 1215. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray and then we're going to transition to communion.